0: Welcome to Equal Time. I'm Mary C. Curtis. Congressman James Clyburn has been representing his South Carolina district in the United States House of Representatives since 1993, and now is the majority whip and third ranking Democrat in the House. But he has another title this year savior of the candidacy of one Joseph Robinette Biden, Jr., now president elect. That's because after Biden's disappointing finishes in earlier primaries and caucuses, Clyburn's endorsement is credited with boosting Biden's resounding win in South Carolina, which led to his success in capturing the nomination and eventually the White House. And that's nothing new, as candidates have flocked to Clyburn's famous fish fry for years. Biden acknowledged the strong support of the African-American vote in his first speech after the race was called. You've always had my back, and I'll have yours, Biden said. Someone who would have been pleased with Clyburn's decision, and with the way the election turned out, was Emily Clyburn, his wife of 58 years, who died in September 2019. Ms. Emily, a librarian and an activist, always had the ear and the attention of the man with the booming voice and commanding presence. How will Congressman Clyburn, who played such a large part in the election, advise Biden to keep that promise to the voters who followed his own lead? And how would the congressman unify not only the country, but the different parts of the Democratic coalition? This is someone who's been at it for a long time as a civil rights activist. At 12, he was president of the local NAACP youth chapter, in Sumter, South Carolina. So it's great to welcome Congressman James Clyburn to Equal Time. It's good to talk with you again. It's been a minute, but then again, I know you've been very busy. A little bit. Uh, I wanna, a little bit. I want to first congratulate you to, on your re-election as Majority Whip.
1: Thank you.
0: Um, and have you had the time to savor your part in electing the new Democratic President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, the first vice president who is a woman, Black, South Asian, and the child of immigrants? Or is there too much work to do?
1: Yeah, we've been pretty busy. I, um, <laughs> You know, I felt uh, that it would be her on the ticket uh, for a long, long time. And uh, uh, so it was not anything that... Um, uh, caught me by surprise. Uh, we all worked hard to make sure that it would be a woman of color because I though so I maintained the public posture that it would be a, a plus and not a must. Uh, I always told uh, Joe Biden in private that I thought it just had to be a woman of color in order to give him the credibility needed to get beyond some of the stuff that I knew he would have to contend with uh, in the campaign. And putting her on the ticket and uh, having um, Anita Hill express the fact that she was going to vote for him. uh, I think all of that helped to define uh, Joe Biden in a way that uh, ran the other side crazy. Um, It was clear to me that he was the one that Trump did not want to run against. No matter what, He Sleepy Joe and all of that stuff. Sleepy Joe woke up.
0: <laughs> I tell you. And uh, what about the appointment of your protege, uh, Representative Cedric Richmond, to the president-elect's inner sanctum as a sign of Joe Biden's commitment to you and the wider Black community?
1: Well, Cedric, um, way back when we were trying to decide uh, which one of the 20-odd candidates we thought was best, we came to the conclusion that it would be uh, Biden, and um, we encouraged him uh, to get involved in the campaign. Uh, And the very first time I sat down with Joe, uh, Cedric was with me, and um, or just from the start, uh, they developed a, uh, a chemistry that was there, even without saying this is somebody who should be involved in the campaign, uh, we did it in such a way that he would be invited into the campaign, because uh, I just knew if they ever got together, the chemistry would be there. Uh, because Cedric is a very astute political person, uh, is very articulate, and is—I uh, just thought the right age uh, to be involved. Had the relationships with various uh, groups that I would call the younger groups around the country. Uh, they were just—they complemented each other so well, uh, and. Um, I just think that he's going to do well in this administration.
0: Well, in his first speech after he uh, they called the race, Joe Biden said that he realized the black community had his back and he would have theirs. Uh, do you think that this is a step toward that? How do you think he will fulfill that commitment?
1: Well, uh, Cedric and I talk a lot. Uh, I have not talked with him since this announcement on Monday. I did talk to him Sunday, Sunday night, and I knew the announcement was coming, but I have not talked to him since. Um, I think that uh, Cedric knows exactly what the the agenda ought to be. And if they listen to him, I think they'll be in a real good place. Uh, Cedric and I have uh, traveled together quite a bit. We have done a lot of Zooming together Uh, So he knows what people are thinking and feeling and uh, what what we need to do. So if he's listened to, uh, Joe would do well.
0: Yeah. Have you talked to Joe Biden about those issues?
1: He called me the night that they declared, which was like Saturday before last. And I didn't know he had called me until that Monday. Because I had not retrieved all my messages, and so before I could call him back, he called again. So I did talk to him Monday or Tuesday. Um, have not talked to him since. Uh, he's going to be pretty busy, so I'm not, I'm not going to bother him at all. Things we'll settle down a little bit. We'll probably get together uh, and um, talk about things a little bit.
0: Yeah, did he say thank you? <laughs> and I'm glad I came to that fish fry. <laughs> well, he
1: uh, uh he left a real nice message from it. Me. But the election night we talked. Um, okay. um, he was much more assured of victory than I was. Um mm-hmm. so on election night we talked and he sounded as if he thought we were in a good place. Uh, I didn't say much. So the next day, uh, Wednesday afternoon, I called the campaign chair, Steve Ricciti, and he too was relatively sure. And I, I questioned him. I said, mm-hmm. "Steve, um, are you sure about this?" He said, "I, I said, if you got Pennsylvania, then fine, mm-hmm. but." At that point, we were 600,000 votes down in Pennsylvania as being advertised. But I didn't know where those votes were, but they knew that Allegheny County and Philadelphia were out there. And so they knew much better than I did.
0: Yeah. I want to recall a conversation we had in 2014. That's when your book, Blessed Experiences, Genuinely Southern Proudly Black had just come out. And you said, and I want to pull a quote you said, you said, the country from its inception is like the pendulum on a clock. It goes back and forward. It tops out to the right and starts back to the left. It tops out to the left and starts back to the right. I can tell you the country is topped out to the right and the country is moving back to the left, end quote. But with Donald Trump, it did keep moving right. And now you have... His voters, more than 70 million voters, who endorsed the policies and the person. Could you talk to me a little bit about the continuing divisions in the country?
1: But I think uh, if you remember, uh, I I guess I did. I don't know if I did in that instance, but I I, I usually say uh, that when the country is going right to left or left to right, it passes through the center. uh, And the country camps out in the center. Uh, twice as often as it does in the left or the right. Now, the country went left with the election of Barack Obama. And it went back right uh, with Donald Trump. And almost immediately, the country started going back left again. Uh, And so I think the country is about where I would say would be center-right right right now. And I think that... uh, Biden can push an agenda that will move it uh, further toward the progressive side of center. I think that's where we are. Now, if you can do things left of center, right of center, I think you can maintain uh, the American people's trust. It is when you move too far left or too far right is when you begin to have problems. I think that Joe Biden is just the person that we need at this particular juncture that kept the country get back on track in its pursuit of a more perfect union. I call it the great pursuit. That's what we've been experiencing in this country, the great pursuit, uh, pursuit of a more perfect union. Now, what happens in this pursuit is that it doesn't, as I said, doesn't move on when they plan. Sometimes it goes forward and then it took a step backwards. Mm-hmm. And we see that happening uh, all the time. Um, this voting rights act, 1965, was a giant step forward. And we've seen in recent years that even the voting rights act itself the Supreme Court has gutted the vote right side. Uh, now, the extent to which we uh, top out is based upon the intervention of the voters. Uh, the voters intervened on November 3rd to check the movement. The country really thought uh, a margin of 5.5 million people. Now, people talk about the closeness of the election because of the method that we use, the so called Electoral College. But when you win by 5.5 million, um, that's a lot of votes to win by. So this country, uh, I think, is in a much better place uh, than one would gather from the Electoral College.
0: Yeah. Now, do you think it's racial divisions that is spurring many Republicans? these days, to go along with this president in refusing to acknowledge the Biden-Harris team as winners. Um, what what do you make of the GOP these days?
1: Well, I tend to separate the Republican Party from Republican voters. Uh, there are a lot of people who voted Republican, uh, in Donald Trump's instance, that are not Republicans. It's just that simple. Uh, a lot of Republicans, you know, the people who identify identified. As Republicans, uh, a lot of them made up uh, three or four groups out here that's trying to stop Trump. The Lincoln Project was the one most pronounced. Those are all Republicans. Uh, There was another group, Republicans for something, uh, that were all pro-Biden and anti-Trump. They're Republicans. So I tend to say there are people who vote for Republican candidates who are not Republicans. Um, we had people come to the polls in South Carolina, uh, 50, 60 years old, we would never voted before, uh, didn't know how to vote. Uh, people driving up in tractors asking, how do I vote? So they had a real good subterranean uh, campaign going that went undetected. Uh, and uh, I'm doing a deep dive on all these uh, precincts to see exactly what that was all about. And hopefully we can um, be prepared for that uh, in two years. Uh, we, uh, we absolutely missed something in this election that hopefully we can correct.
0: Well, yeah. Do, do you think, you know, I saw this over the weekend uh, thousands of folks showed up to support Trump, and some were voters. They voted for him. And there were some members of the Proud Boys and other far-right groups. They were standing on Black Lives Matter Plaza, denouncing the movement and tearing down signs. And where do we go from here? Do you think we can heal, as, as Joe Biden has said he wants to?
1: Well, uh, just after uh might have been before Election Day, yeah— um, I started rereading Martin Luther King Jr.'s last book. And if you remember, his last book was called Where Do We Go From Here? Code, Chaos or Community? Um, and I'm looking at that because uh, I always get history books or books on history in order to inform me of, um, of what may or may not be a good approach today. And so I'm looking at that book in hopes of um, uh, getting some thoughts as to how we should respond because Trump was all about chaos. And that's what he was about, chaos. And um, And I'm interested in finding what King would lay out as alternatives.
0: Yes, you were there fighting civil rights when folks were getting arrested, and you were. And you see the racial divisions then, and do you see some echoes of that today?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, um, I did a talk with a sort of foreign affairs, foreign relations group earlier today, and I was asked something similar. And that, you know, we've always had divisions in this country. Black folks came to this country in 1619. That's 401 years ago. Uh, And when you have a system like this one, which was actually built uh, upon uh, free labor of black people. Uh, these two pillars that we have erected this society, one is the pillar upon which whites who came to this country of their own free will in search of freedom, they were running Uh, to freedom blacks who came to this country against their will and were enslaved. And that's how this country was built for 244 years. That's a long time. 244 years that blacks were enslaved in this country. And when slavery came to an end, The Emancipation Proclamation ushered in the so-called Reconstruction Era. That didn't last for 12 years. Reconstruction was over in 1877. And they were for another 100 years, not exactly, but from 1877 uh, to 1954 with the Brown Board of Education decision that began to dismantle separate but equal, post almost 100 years. Uh, and so that's what how the society is built. Now, our job it seemed to me is to find ways to continue that pursuit of a more perfect union. Uh, and you're not going to do that unless you acknowledge the fact that that That's our challenge. These two systems have got to be reconciled. And the extent to which we can have those reconciliations uh, will determine uh, whether or not uh, we succeed in this pursuit. I call it the great pursuit.
0: What gives you hope?
1: I'm just uh, a pretty uh, hopeful person. I grew up in and uh, My father was a fundamentalist minister. And I have always taken to heart the scriptures. And one of my favorite scriptures is Hebrew 11 1. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And I live by that. And so I know you cannot always see it, but I remain hopeful uh, that the evidence that I see uh, will provide the result that I
0: wish. Thank you. Um, I want to go back a little bit when you talked about trying to figure out what happened in this election, your majority whip and... You still have control, the Democrats of the House. You lost some seats and your own policies are pretty progressive from health care to minimum wage. Uh, but you've talked a little bit about, and you talked a little bit about today too, going a little bit to the left. Do you, you've talked a little bit about maybe some of the sloganeering, some of the things might have hurt. Uh, what are your thoughts moving forward on that?
1: Well, you know, I know it's hard for a lot of people to deal with, uh, but uh, my longtime friend, Benny Thompson, we've been here together in the Congress for 28 years. Uh, but Ben and I knew each other for 20 years before we got here. And Benny nominated me today uh, to continue as Majority Whip. He said in his nomination uh, that if you are squeamish, Uh, about what may be the answer, don't ask Jim Clyburn the question uh, because he's gonna answer it uh, as forthrightly and as honest as he knows how to be. So if you can't handle it, don't ask him. Now, I sometimes offer my opinion when I'm not asked, but every time I do, is not based upon something I pull out of the air. It's usually based upon my own experiences or the history that I have studied. And John Lewis and I met in October 1960. We were founding members of SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. John Lewis, And I were, and others, were having some significant success until we woke up one morning and there was a new slogan on the front page of all the newspapers Burn, baby, burn. And that destroyed the movement. You know, John died earlier this year, and everybody is talking about the governor. A pretty right wing governor of Georgia uh, and other officers down there have already saying we are going to take our Confederate soldier statute out of the Capitol and replace it with a statute of John Lewis. That is a great omen to a fantastic life. But guess what? John walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. This is what put him into folklore in February, I'm sorry, March the 7th, I believe, 1965, and six months later, we got the Voting Rights Act, which means the most effective Civil Rights Act in modern times. But listen, a year later, John was kicked out of SNCC. A lot of people don't know that. He was kicked out of SNCC. Because he came out against the slogan there, burn, baby, burn. And he and I talked about that just before he went home. Uh, And we knew he wasn't coming back after that trip home. We sat on the floor of the house and John said to me, defund the police. could very well do to the Black Lives Matter movement what burn, baby, burn did to ours. So I'm informed about that history. And I know what I'm talking about. Not because I dreamed it up. It's right there to be seen. George Santayana once wrote, if we fail to learn the lessons of history, we are bound to repeat them. It's clear. So if he had not learned that lesson, you're going to repeat, I hope we have learned the lesson. And will not repeat repeat that.
0: When I interviewed that time, uh, Miss Emily was there with you. Yeah, and I, sh- she has since uh, gone home. And I, what would she have thought of Vice President Elect Kamala Harris?
1: Oh, Emily was one of the ones, one of the first ones to tell me that she thought that the Biden Harris ticket would be the right ticket. Um, she. Um, She's a big fan of Joe Biden. She just thought that Joe Biden was our best chance to beat Donald Trump. And she thought up front that a ticket of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris uh, would carry the day. Um, And I tell people this a lot and they, they sometimes think I'm joking. But Emily was a medical librarian. And she uh, was a librarian at the Naval Hospital down in Charleston, uh, the VA hospital uh, in, the, in Columbia, uh, and she would go on the wards delivering books uh, to people, sometimes sitting with them and reading with them. She got to know people so well, and she, she never missed an election. She would always tell me, uh, maybe when I ran myself back in, I ran for Secretary of State back in 1978, and one night uh, at, at dinner she said to me, she's now Clyburn, she never knew my first name. She said, Clyburn, I don't want you to get your hopes up. You're not gonna win this election. Run as hard as you can, but you're not gonna win. She was right. So when I ran for Congress in 1992, my poster, not my campaign manager, said to me he said, um, I want to do a poll. This was about five or six weeks out. So he told me I was going to have to pay for that poll because, uh, under the federal rules, nobody could pay for it. I had to personally pay for it, or raise uh, the money had to come from my campaign. So I went up to tell Emily that. Um, Uh, we wanted to do a poll. She said to me, that would be a waste of money. You have this election won. You don't need to poll. You have the election won. Uh, And she was right. Uh, So, when she told me that Joe Biden was the best hope The Democrats had a winning. I didn't think she was wrong. Because she had always been right. And from the grave, she proved right.
0: Never bet against Miss Emily. Uh.
1: Never did. I didn't always listen to her, and I paid daily when I didn't.
0: Well, you've said that uh, don't ask James Clarence a question (laughs) if you don't want an honest answer. So... What is a question that I haven't asked you, which I ask for all my guests, <laughs> that you have some thoughts on that you want to talk about?
1: Oh, there's so many things
0: <laughs> that
1: I want to talk about. I don't know if I can tell you anything that would be of any benefit to you, to your show.
0: Oh, I think so.
1: Since it's your practice, I'll, I'll give it a shot. You know, uh, once again, in talking about history. Um, Denmark Vesey uh, led the 1822 insurrection down in Charleston, led it from the basement of Emmanuel AME Church. The same church was, wasn't the same building, wasn't the same sanctuary. Because after Vesey's 1822 insurrection, Uh, local uh, folks in Charleston burned the Emanuel Church to the ground. And they built right behind the Emanuel Church the Citadel. The Citadel was established to keep control of slaves. It wasn't established to be a military college. That's why they built it there. Uh, You go to Charleston now, you go to the embassy suites that used to be the Citadel. Uh, and that's why I was there. Now, I said that said us. The reason Vese's insurrection failed is because somebody sitting in the room with them, who looked just like them, decided he'd rather remain in slavery and went and told the powers that be what was going on. And Visa was arrested. He and 35, 36 others were hanged right on Ashley Avenue in Charleston. I tell you that story because I hear a lot of people asking me, How do I explain the fact that Donald Trump got so many black votes? Well, there's always Someone who might rather stay in bondage than to pay the price of being free.
0: You've been fantastic. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. For joining Equal Time Congressman Clyburn. You take care. Be well. Be safe. Thank you. Oh, what's been keeping me up at night? The holidays, unlike any other, and how to make them special and safe. I haven't come up with an answer, though maybe we will just have to settle for trying to make them safe in 2020. One thing I have been thinking about, even when I'm awake, is how different the incoming first family will be from the one exiting stage. Well, right, I guess. The Bidens will be bringing along dogs, including a rescue dog, which is making some of my friends very happy, and the new First Lady will, unlike any other, have a day job, professor, teacher. I attended one of Dr. Jill Biden's last pre-election rallies, and I've listened to her recent speeches to teachers groups and realized that she is a not-so-secret weapon for Joe Biden. In my column this week, I write about the strong women surrounding the new president, and what that could mean for his leadership style, and for all of us. Check it out. Now, one of my listeners had a lovely answer when I asked what keeps him up at night. Nothing, he said. I have an amazing wife, and I hold her hand. That's a hard one to top, but try. Let me know with a tweet at mcurtisnc3. Thank you for listening to Equal Time. Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify,